jazz to me is all music. If you know jazz, you know everything else. You know hip hop, you know classical music, because you can't be proficient at jazz unless you are proficient with the instrument. It is the art form, I mean, the American art form, this is specifically African-American art form that transcends because it's so, it's structured and, it, and it's all at the same time experimental. It's, the person listening is like, man, what in the world are they playing? And the musicians are like, we know exactly what we're doing. <laughs> and and it's, it's where you get to have a chance to be a moment to really, especially when you're performing it, to be all about you and the instrument and the music. Not the audience, just you and the music. And, it's, and, then, it, and then with that, man, it connects you so much to the, the creator of music. Jazz. Jazz. Jazz with Kenny Anderson. When I think about deep roots in music, there's one name that rises to the top. That name is Kelvin Wooten. And I have the opportunity to talk to him today on Jazz with Kenny Anderson. Kelvin, how you doing this afternoon? Kenny, I'm doing awesome. Man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, and that's a really important question, too, at this time, especially having gone through what we've gone through over the past year. And it's usually the place that I start. I really want to check people's pulse in terms of where they are physically, emotionally, even spiritually during this time. Talk to me a little bit about what the journey has been like, and then I'm going to dive into the backstory about how Kevin Wooten became who you are. Yeah, I think it, I, I think it is important. Can I think the 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 usual cliche, hey, I'm doing okay, or, um, you know, you might get different responses these days when you ask people how they're doing, you know. Um, but, yeah, things for me have been pretty well. Uh, the pandemic and the shutting down of things, especially on the musical scene with live performances and and um, anything that has to do with people congregating has really afforded me an opportunity to, to get into my quote-unquote bag of, producing and writing and one of actually the things that I love to do the most when it comes to um, the arts, when it comes to music. So, you know, all the, the playing field has been levels. No one's performing, no one's traveling, um, is in doing as much as arenas and shows. I mean, even small venues. And so I've had the opportunity to connect with a lot of artists that want to, you know, work on their albums, work on their records. So when it's time to tour, they have, you know, this body of work that they can represent on stage. So it's been really, really good for me. Um, <laughs> I'm a homebody anyway. I actually stopped doing performances live um, on, a, on a, I guess I should just say, on a, on a, in, a, in a major way back in 2019. What was the motivation for that? Was actually to get to what, I'm, what the pandemic actually forced a lot of musicians to to. You know, so um, I think it may have been divine in nature that I kind of was a year ahead of in terms of my mindset and in terms of just getting myself prepared, you know, to be in a physical space of being at home um, a lot. Uh, it's just it was just the, the motivation was 
I just kind of wanted to, you know, just getting older, you know, getting older. You know, I started, <laughs> I started gigging when I was 15 and 16 years old, man. I, you know, to, to, to be a weekend warrior, man, to, to fly all over the place and, and to drive, you know, especially around the Southeast Eastern region was, it was fun. You know, it was, it was definitely something to do and to see the world, a way to see the world too. But I think once I saw, and, and another honor, a bit of transparency when I started seeing how, how lucrative being a producer was, which I always was in that space, I just had to try to see which way the, the scales were going to balance. And I think I yeah. just put a little bit more weight, a little bit more stock into investing in myself as a producer and a writer. And, 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 and it helped um, kind of push things forward, you know. As I get older, I feel like I have less time to do things. At least it seems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I want those things I want to check off the bucket list. Um, you know, are getting like, man, I'm getting a little less time to check this off. I need to go ahead and hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in the same space a lot of us are because as we age, we kind of have a chance to reflect on the journey and what really matters. The pandemic, of course, forced many of us to think about what are the most valuable things in our lives. What is the most important priority? And then how much time do I have to get it done? And so this, of okay. course, uh, in many ways is fortuitous uh, that we are in uh, the zones that we're in right now, doing the kinds of things that we're doing and taking advantage in ways that we may not have been able to were it not for the pandemic. Um, a young brother from Thomasville, Georgia, that's where you were born. That's where your story begins. You land in Huntsville for the same reason that a lot of other people land in Huntsville. Your dad worked at Marshall Space Flight Center. You pretty much grew up in this community. Talk about what that transition was like, being born in Thomasville and then moving here to the booming metropolis of Huntsville. <laughs> well, you know, Huntsville was a lot different. In, well, I would say in spectrum from Thomasville, Georgia, and, and, and more accurately, uh, Cairo, Georgia is actually where my, my dad is from in a small town. They're all small towns right here <laughs> in Georgia with pocket. My mom is from, um, my dad is from Wiggum, Georgia. I'm sorry. And my mom is from Cairo, Georgia. And I, my, my dad taught at, uh, at a community college in Thomasville. So that's why we were in Thomasville. And he went from there. He was a math um, instructor at the college there. He also taught math at AM when we came to Huntsville. Hmm. And so the spectrum between any part of any of that part of Georgia and Huntsville was a booming metropolis, even though Huntsville in 1979 and 80 was a lot different than it is today. But um, the transition was, I mean, you know, I was a kid. I was, you know, I was four years old at the time. And so what I remember most about that transition was. Was it? I'm gonna begin honest, Ken. It wasn't a lot. <laughs> other than other than the fact that I, you know, we visited home enough to, mm -hmm. to where that still felt like home. You know, mm -hmm. uh, the matriarchs, patriarchs of the family were still alive then, and and all of my family there was was there. I'm only child, so it, it was. It, it, you know, I guess it could have. You know, in retrospect, I, I guess it could have been a lot more. But man, I was so so young and. So Huntsville for me is really home in terms of, you know, my connection to to this area. Going to school here, uh, you know, from elementary school all the way up to college. So 
And of course, the music bug hit you early because you've been playing and uh, performing and doing lots of other things for many, many years. Uh, you didn't initially focus on just one instrument. You had a vision for much bigger things and much broader things. Talk about those early musical days and the influences that generated uh, the interest that you developed in music. So my, I would say my initial interest in music came from my dad being a DJ. My dad was... He's, he's a Kappa and he, and, and he went to Fort Valley State. He also was a DJ during that time as well. So a lot of the music I remember at least seeing visually on vinyl was the collection of music that my dad had. It was a lot of funk jazz, um, a lot of stuff that was just indicative of the great music at the time. But at the same time, my mom was heavy into going to church. So. Um, I grew up with a Pentecostal background, so my mom took me to church pretty much every time the doors were open, and that would have been Wednesday night um, Bible study, Friday night Bible study, twice on Sunday. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I'm getting both ends of the spectrum a, a good, uh, a good, a good, a broad spectrum of you know I'm hearing records um, that's a lot different than in church, but then in church I'm I'm getting to see people execute on those same instruments that I'm hearing as a kid on those records. So that was my musical upbringing. I went to Johnson High School, um, now known as Jemison High School. I, uh, I went to Johnson High School and a lot of my musical nurturing to, to it, for it to be a career was through my band director, James Reginald Jackson. He taught a lot of us um, during that time and, and he was definitely very instrumental in me wanting to pursue a career in music. So just his, his way that he taught, um, you know, training us by ear. And I, I, I went into that musical program playing the tuba and I came out playing a lot of other instruments, you know. Mm. <laughs> so mm. just because of the understanding and theoretically of where music came from, I, I kind of said, well, I can apply that theory to this instrument and let me try this, you know. Mm. There's always a lot of room um, for creative um, just growth and just trying out and um, experimenting with things. So. Yeah. And then then going to college at Alabama A&M, I, I arranged for the band there. So um, and I had a time with Arthur Wesley um, being the um, the band director at the time. So that's your bulldog roots. Bulldog roots for sure. Yep. Yes, and white. sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And then you said your dad taught there, too, for a period of time. Um, Kelvin, you know, you, you said something that really resonated with me. You talked about the funk bands of the 70s. And I remember, you know, Confunction and Cameo, Daz Band and all those other yeah. shows that used to come through this community, too, were always very high profile experiences, very electrifying experiences. And uh, those experiences that you had very early on shaped a lot of what you have been able to do in terms of music. Um, you met an uh, important figure in music very early on in the process that I would say was perhaps a game-changing meeting. And that was a meeting with Eddie Smakey Alford. Talk yes. a little bit about that experience and perhaps for those uh, two or three people that don't know who Smakey was. Talk yeah, a little bit about, people, right? yeah, the two or three. Uh, talk a little bit about this experience and meeting him and what that did for your musical career. Well, you know, Eddie Spanky Alpha was a person that if you knew him, you knew him. You know, he was just, just a super, super friendly person, very, very transparent, very, you know, just very outgoing. And if you were a musician and not a musician, you and you knew him, you know, uh, 
everybody has a story that when I meet them, they have the story about, I remember this time and I was like, man, with, with Eddie, and I remember this time with Spanky. I remember this time and it's like, like, man, how many people have, how, how many people could he have personally touched? <laughs> and so with that, that being about him, you know, he was that giving and sharing with his musical aptitude too. So we spent a lot of time. I met him at a church that my mom went to. And my mom, it, that was the actual draw. She was like, mm. the church you're going to is no good because there's a guy that goes to my church and he plays really, really well. You got to see him. And so, I, you know, I, I I probably for a month, I just like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And I decided to go and it wound up being him. Mm. And we hit it off and became really, really good friends. And we, we started working out on the West Coast. And, you know, he would just take me as a little kid. Like, a, you know, I was like, he was a, a father figure, a big uncle um, uh, in, in some sorts. And he, man, he turned me on to so many different things. All the people that he knew, everybody that loved him, they said, you got to love my, you got to love my boy Wooten too. You know, you got to bring him along too. So I got a chance to meet a lot of people through him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if it was like, if you knew Eddie, if you knew Spanky, then you're good people. If you, you know, so that more than music, more than musically, he, that was his influence on my life and in, in mm-hmm. how to be and how to connect with people. You know, mm-hmm. why we have this gift of music and this talent is, it's just a vehicle to get to people and inspire people and just to connect with people. Um, it was always, you know, he was very highly musically proficient, but even more in his character was just a great person. Mm. Yeah, I remember um, the footprint that he left, especially in hindsight after he passed and just all of the reflections. And like you said, the intersections of so many people's lives at that intersection, people found Spanky and uh, for various reasons, you know, in the music field and and in life and uh, just a really bigger than life presence, a bigger than life spirit that uh, certainly is uh, genuinely missed. Uh, a lot of people recognize the name Tony, 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 and the name Raphael Sadiq. Yep. You, of course, have had a great relationship over the years with Raphael. Talk a little bit about that relationship and how it has influenced your music career. Well, I met Raphael Sadiq, well, Raphael Wiggins at the time. I met him through um, uh, through through Spanky. Spanky, um, Spanky was so sought after you know, especially in the gospel community, you know, he played for the Mighty Clouds of Joy. He was on a lot of records and, and performed with them. And Raphael Sadiq being a big Mighty Clouds of Joy fan happened to to find Spanky. And the day that he found him, I happened to be at Spanky's house. And and so I was in high school and still am a huge Tony, Tony, Tony fan, like a huge, huge Tony. People thought and knew that if there was four Tonys, it would be a Tony, 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 <laughs> and then one more. <laughs> Everybody I said it was supposed to be four, and I was the fourth one. I just, in my mind, envisioned being one of the Tonys. And I'll be doggone, man. I, I actually talked to Raphael Sadiq, and, and as a kid, I was like, wow. And mm-hmm. he asked me to be a part of, you know, what they were doing, pro- producing, and, you know, pretty much Spanky handed me off to him. And we started working, and we – formed a production team, you know, for about 10 to 15 years and just did a lot of neo soul stuff and um, a lot of a lot of R&B, you know, some pop stuff here and there. We did the Bee Gees and Babyface and, mm. you know, Whitney Houston and, man, just Isley Brothers, just 
I mean, icons that I would have, you know, um, and it's crazy, you know, I connect all those people to Spanky, you know, mm-hmm. you know, being instrumental in that. Um, but Raphael then afterwards, just the, the long time that we worked together, you know, it helped me kind of build a build a, a presence and a name in the in the industry as far as being a producer or a supporting producer, I should say. You've worked with a lot of people and you've developed your craft in so many ways. And I just wonder, is there a part of the work that resonates with you more than anything else? You do many different kinds of things, but uh, many times when you are multi-talented and gifted as you are, uh, there's a particular part of that work that really kind of bubbles up to the top in terms of uh, where you are in terms of the process. Uh, is that true for you as well? Do you have a certain part of work in the space that you're in that really resonates with you as this is the place I want to be and this is the thing that really uh, gives me that mm, that that extra thing? You know, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's any one particular thing or if it's just the whole process and the journey within it, it itself, you know. You know, so many, there are so many markers on the journey that I can remember. It's like, man, this was a great time. This was a great time. This was really impactful for, for you know, the people that, that heard the song. Or this was impactful for me, you know, going through this process and doing this, doing this work. So I, I think the journey itself, you know, I think that's what, like, if we go back to Spanky, you know, one of the things that we admire about him, you know, anybody can tell you they have more than one story. So it's it, it, it becomes a larger than a one-time situation and it becomes the whole impact of a person's life on yours. And so, um, and I can't, I think he kind of, ta- him be- between him and Raphael, kind of those are kind of things that they would talk about and want to make sure that if you're going to be a musician, you know, it's not about the hits, it's not about a one-time event, but it's about having a career that impacts and says something that if you were to stop at a certain point, then there was a story written from the beginning up until that point. And, and for me, it's just to be able to continue doing this as long as I can, whether it be that I physically do it or I hand off um, the baton to someone else and instruct and teach and educate others um, to, to do the same thing. Um, I mean, of course there are highlights, there's moments, you know, people that I met that was just like, Oh my gosh, you know, you know, I sat on the couch with Maurice White and talked about, mm. you know, and, and, you know, horn arrangements. And I talked to, with Verdine about his brother, about playing the bass, and, you know, those moments, you know. And I sat with Al Green and talked two hours about Spanky after he passed. And it's just, you know, those types of moments are definitely highlights. But, you know, you we never, you know, I never got into it for that, you know. It just happened to be subsidiary to the to the whole thing. It's just like, man, I and, and at those times, it's like, man, I want to do this for as long as I can. You know, I want to yeah. be able to meet people and how they impacted me. I want to be able to do the same when I talk to other people. So when I think about music and impact, that's such an important word, I think, because uh, when we put it to the local scene, uh, it is clear that music matters in our community. There are so many different ways in which artists have a chance to express themselves. And of course, the pandemic has been especially cruel to people in the industry, but has also presented some additional opportunities. Can you talk for just a few minutes about the significance of the music scene here in Huntsville, but really across North Alabama, stretching all the way over the Muscle Shoals 
and really the, the value and importance of what has happened in this particular space for so many years, because people oftentimes think about the music scene in much bigger cities, but really there's a significant core mm-hmm. of, of people here and uh, productivity here and creativity here. Talk about the significance of this particular area, the North Alabama corridor and music. Yeah. Well, going back, you know, if any if any of the travels that I've done working with artists and musicians, um, some of the ones that we've mentioned, you know, Raphael Sadiq and, and all those other ones, and you know, they all have a story of the music that was recorded here in this region. You know, you know, especially Muscle Shows in the North Alabama area. You know, they can talk extensively about Aretha Franklin records and you know Wilson Pickett records and you know, things of, things from that era in time, you know, so the significance of, of the history, you know, and it was crazy. I, I got a chance to actually, I worked in fame actually with, with Eric Essence, who we made, we talk, talk about later. My first time actually, actually ever being in fame was working on the project with him there. And I just never really understood the significance of that place until I was actually there. This was around 1999. I said, wow. And I started re- learning and understanding who all was in this space. And I'm like, I said, this, their contribution to music was major. And so um, I, I then went back to, and went to Muscle Show Sound and, and, and toured that place and got some more to store. I, I went in not as a musician, but as a tourist, you know, just to kind of to get the stories. But even now, so, you know, the, there's so much creativity and, 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 and just a powerful, group of of individuals here in Huntsville now, I think that if we were to just kind of use what um, has gone on before as a, just as a platform, as a foundation um, to start doing some new things, I think, and I think that the city is doing that. I think, I think people like yourself um, and and others in the city um, are, are, are doing great things. to, to make sure that Huntsville still become is a place of, um, importance and significance in the musical culture. Um, I mean, all of my musical upbringing and growth happened in Huntsville. The same, you know, from, so from here, I'm able to touch so many people. I still work here, you know. I have no desire to leave <laughs> this area. And and what's great about it is that the artists that I've worked with, they've come here, you know, they've come to the studio. They There's something that they feel that is necessary for them to come and record in this area, so I, I enjoy it. You know, I enjoy it when they come here and me not go there. You know, because you know, it's like I get to show you my city. I get to show you where where it all happened for me.
That was Brother Brian, a Kelvin Wooten composition from the Eric Essex album Birmingham. Now back to Jazz with Kenny Anderson, a partnership with Jazz in the Park Huntsville. Talk for just a few moments about your collaboration and your relationship with Anthony Hamilton, which of course is well known by many people. But let's take a moment here to acknowledge that and also have you reflect on that relationship as well and also uh, your partnership. Yeah, me and Anthony are like brothers, like brothers from another mother. I mean, like truly. I mean, from the moment that we met, and we met at, actually at Raphael Sadiq's studio, we were there to do on a session um, to record something. Me and Raphael were, were producing something for him. And that was my first time meeting him. And I was like, man, I really, really connect with this guy. You know, he's a Southern guy. He's from North Carolina. And a lot of the stories that we shared are just, and he's super, 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 down earth man just super humble and just super grounded and rooted and just you know loves loves that southern thing about him you know and he carries that with him so when when we started working we started working in those sessions and he's like man i i gotta know man if you and it wasn't until he actually came to huntsville and he did a, a hall of fame um alabama hall of fame induction a long time ago was when we met um, we met through this 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 uh, elderly lady. She was a caterer for the event, <laughs> and her son and I worked together in Muscle Shows when we did Eric's album. And uh, she said, you know, she went up to Anthony. She's like, you know what? You remind me of a a, a friend of my son's. Do you know? Happen by chance? Happened to know Kelvin Wood? And it was crazy that a month prior to that, we were working in L.A. with Raphael Sadiq, and he's like, yeah. You know, he like he lives in Huntsville and he's like, she's like, yeah, she's like, I can call him right now. And so <laughs> she put us on the phone and we hit it off and start. He said, man, I got to come back to Huntsville and work with you. And I thought, I was like, man, this guy just blowing smoke. He's not coming back to Huntsville, um, this little small town. But he actually did. Mm. Manager reached out and, and that was the beginning, um, part of the beginning of our working relationship. He came here, we, do, we, we did a ton of records, you know, passed me over and never love again and mm. i mean just uh, just and and we just grew our relationship there then we we just take that work when whenever we run into each other in la we work and we be in north carolina we work and we also wrote for other artists you know we brought wrote for josh turner country artist then um we wrote and did some stuff for eric clapton as well so it's um yeah i mean that guy is like a brother to me you know and when we talk it's always you know the relationship is one that we ain't even talking about music we're, <laughs> we're just, just real, you know, talking, yeah, talking yeah. about life you know and uh, like the fact it. that you have uh, found um, um, a way to connect in um, a human way in a compassionate way uh, respecting both of your ability to do the work that you do and I think that's an extremely important part of the equation you know oftentimes we see people in the industry and we see them as uh, just giants, and they may very well be, but you've got families, you've got, um, uh, you know, life issues and concerns that you have to live out as well, and great friendships that, of course, um, are produced from that as well. Uh, you mentioned Eric Essex a few times, and of course, very notable name. Uh, I think we need to acknowledge Eric and uh, talk a little bit about your working relationship with Eric. Yeah, and I met Eric back in um, 1996. I remember, I remember being in high school, and I remember there used to be um, a spot here in Huntsville um, called Willie Moffitt's. Hey, wait a minute, man. You're taking it back right now, man. If you were not at Willie Moffitt's on Sunday night, 
you were nowhere hey. in Huntsville. <laughs> well, I definitely was nowhere because I wasn't old enough to get in. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're, I, we're, we're, I'm a little bit older, so I was there, but I guess you. <laughs> I'm old enough to remember. And all of the players that were a part of that, that whole mm. era of, of music, I know them now and, and mm. eventually began playing with them. But mm. I remember being in high school, just, you know, wanting to be a jazz musician and aspiring jazz musician. And I would hear about Willie Moffitt and, you know, we can never get in there. <laughs> and then there was also a place in Huntsville called the Lighthouse. Yeah. The jazz on Sunday nights. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy I used to play with. His name was Cedric T. He was a saxophone mm-hmm. player. Cedric mm-hmm. has uh, moved to the DMV area now. And but it was one um it was one Sunday afternoon. They actually Eric Essex was looking for another keyboard player. Him and his bass player Sean Michael So we were looking for another keyboard player. We heard of this guy in Huntsville, and it wasn't me, it was Cedric Draper. Um, mm. who we've done extensive stuff with Raphael Sadiq and, and mm. the Tonys and all that. Well, Cedric Draper happened, I happened to be filling in for Cedric Draper that night. Mm. So he wasn't there and it happened to be me. And Eric was like, hey, let's just go with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and that was around 95 or 96. Um, and man, I can tell you, Eric has been my best friend, like one of my closest friends um, since then. Mm. Uh, I mean, like, I, you know, like truly when I say brother from another mother, I, I really mean that about Eric Essex. You know, it's we have um, we have made uh, it, just about every record from from that point on. I've been a, either a player on or produce at some point I started producing the records mm-hmm. um, for him. I think we've probably done over over 12, 13 records together, mm-hmm. you know, um, just in collaboration as a producer or a musician. So. Yeah, Eric is just a tremendous, um, and I look at him as a in, in, as an Alabama musician, just as an icon too, you know. As, but, but more more importantly, man, that's just a that's just my guy, you know. You know, you have you have those friends sometimes, you know, you have in seasons in life, and, you know, you kind of move on. But he's I like shucks, man. It's been more than twenty years now. Like yeah. we won't be friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like a rich relationship that has produced so many wonderful things, and I'm so happy for you all. Um, Kelvin, of course, has played, written, and produced songs featured in films such as Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins, Why Did I Get Married, Deliver Us from Eva, Are We There Yet, Dr. Doolittle 2, and Django Unchained, one of my favorite movies of all time. Talk a little bit about producing and writing in that particular arena, the movie TV arena. Well, Luckily for me, um, or fortunately for me, it had been. There's there's two types of ways to look at music when you when you're speaking with film. There's a score, and then there's the um, there's the music um, supervision. So, having some relationships um, through the years with music supervisors, or, or that music getting to super um, music supervisors. Um, I hadn't done any compositions for films that anyone knows about. I mean, I've been doing some things independently, but those films that you mentioned um, got in the hands of the, of the right music supervisor. You know, it was, it was honestly, uh, I had no say <laughs> other than it just being divine in nature to me that, that those, all those films have existed um, with my music in it. So um it's 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 so so for us so for us doing it that way it's not different you know we're just we're writing songs now i will tell you that after it started happening and i started getting 
the sense of what would what, what use in film, I kind of started being a little bit more deliberate when I, was, when I was writing songs, making them a little bit more palatable than just for radio or just for one medium. I started thinking, okay, when I write songs, you know, I can also write some songs that can be on the radio, and but also can be in television shows. Um, also can be, I mean, there's some local artists I've um, worked with here, um, one by the name of Deacon Sue. We specifically mm-hmm. wrote some songs, specifically, that we want to get these songs um, in television. We're not concerned about the radio. We want television. We want T-Mobile commercials and and those sort of things happen, you know, uh, again, divinely. But I think, you know, it was one of those things I kind of I kind of believe that, you know, you kind of say it and then you you do it and you don't think about it. You plant the seed and then you just walk away. And and then some years later, yeah, we we got opportunities for uh, me and Deacon Sue had some songs in Orange is the New Black, um, major T-Bubble um, campaigns. I think there was a magenta campaign going over in um, in the Netherlands in for years before it came over here. And the song was used multiple times there. Um, uh, Tyler Perry has a new show. I think it's um, for, about the Four Sisters. We had some music recently in that last year. And so, um, yeah, it's a very deliberate thing then when you start, you know what, let's make some music for television. You know, let's get it to the music supervisors and see what they can do. So, yeah. Tell me a little bit about what's on Kelvin Wooten's playlist when you're sitting back, chilling out, listening to music. Uh, what do you, what, what other artists are you listening to? <laughs> man, Ken, I'm going to be honest, man. I don't even listen to music when I'm not working on it. Is that right? You know, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, music is completely off. I'm a podcast guy. I'm a podcast, hmm. talk radio, hmm. NPR radio guy. I mean, you know. You I have like- a favorite my favorite pot, I have like a few favorites that I make sure that I listen to weekly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamil Hill is Unbothered. That's one of my mm-hmm. favorite pod- podcasts. Mm-hmm. Inky Johnson has a new podcast called Serendipity. I listen to that one. Eric mm-hmm. Thomas's Secret to Success podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, Mal- Malcolm Gladwell and Ricky Rubin's mm-hmm. Broken Record podcast. I listen to that one frequently. So um, there's just a few, and it's a few more I have in rotation. It's just those things that I want to, that for me, it's not that mu- music is isn't inspiring anymore. It's just that I want to get make sure that I'm because it's a it's a double whammy for me. It's like if I, if I can be inspired to hear other musicians talk, other creatives talk um, about their work and their journey, then it, I can add that to you know to my journey as well um, as but also in life applications too. You know, you know at, at a certain point. I think, you know, to, to just be a great musician, I think for all people, you know, you know, Eric Thomas speaks about it a lot, you know, being a uh, hundred, is not just being a hundred in whatever you're known for in the world, but a hundred with your family and, and, you know, with your friends and, and, and everything else that you do, your health. And, and so those things are, are just as important to me because I've, I've been some days when I've been sick <laughs> and music is not on the top of the priority or even if I wanted to, man, I don't feel well enough. And so taking all of those things in consideration, the life things, the, the challenges and, and making sure that I'm, I'm good with all of it, you know, it, it really helped create a, being a, 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 a clean slate to come into the studio and work when everything else is in balance, you know. And so that's that's for me is it's, it's more important because I feel like when I'm in here, 
I can do it. You know, I'm confident enough to feel like, I mean, I can write anything once my mind is clear. I feel healthy and I feel great. I got enough rest and I got enough water. I'm hydrated and, you know, wife, kids, everybody's good, you know. Everybody's good. And well, talk to me a little bit about that. I like to often uh, engage people in that work family balance thing because it is important for us to keep all of those things in perspective. And when we're juggling different balls, it's important to be mindful of that. And it sounds like you have applied a major degree of mindfulness to the work that you're doing and the space that you're in doing that work. Uh, talk a little bit about that in terms of how you approach that. Well, I, one one of the things that musicians don't like, um, a lot of musicians, creators, we hate routine. We hate, we hate, we like the spontaneity of life, especially as a young musician, man. We just wanted to just, whatever the day was, that's what we went with, you know. And I started realizing that that, in a creative sense, was great because anywhere you wound up, you were able to just seize that moment and just go with it creatively. But I started seeing other things in life <laughs> didn't really, that didn't help a lot of things. So I, I felt like being able to create a space for spontaneity and carve out a time to where I was like, all right, this time of the day, I'm going to be completely creative. It's structured. I call it, I guess I call it, I want to call it just structured creativity where, you know, between these hours, I'm going to do this, but you know, I need to leave these hours sacred for prayer and meditation. I need to leave these hours sacred for family. I need to leave these hours sacred for rest. I need to eat at a certain time. I need to stop eating at a certain time. You know, all that stuff just plays so much in, into, and, and I do all of that, to be honest, centered, centered around that time, that few hours. So then where I was, would have been once creating for 16 hours a day, I'm now creating for maybe six hours of the day, but the six hours of the day is a lot more productive. You know, mm -hmm. it's a lot more, a lot more potent because I'm not thinking about this and I'm not worried about this during that whole time. Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm really concentrating and focused. Um, you know, it's one of those things that I apply for me, honestly, you know, and I, I you know, I don't know. I, I can talk spiritually if I can. It's one of those things where, you know, Jesus did more praying than he did. I think that he did more than he did, than he did miracles. You know, you know, it was that the, the reason that we hear about the stories of him being so potent because he spent more time. I guess in, 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 in this application, more time prepping for that, you know, prepping mm -hmm. to be to be impactful. Like I want to get in the studio and just knock it out. I don't want to be in here 20 hours trying to figure it out. I want to knock, I want to sit down, I want to knock it out. That's what makes me feel good. Yeah. Now, where before I was like, I can be in all day, it, it doesn't matter, you know. I get to tell people, yeah, I was in the studio 20 hours a day. I was in the studio. 16 hours a day, and but I couldn't show you what I really did, <laughs> but I was in there. That's a that's a great point. And, and what you're also emphasizing is just the whole notion of how in the scope of a day, there's so many things that we could do, but what are the things that are producing the most value for us? And also, are we taking sufficient time to draw away from those things so that we can recharge? Exactly. And that is so important in this process. Yeah, yeah. so many people that I've that I admire. And I don't know, I mean, it's, it's just a, a, something that clicks in me when I have an opportunity to have a discussion, even like having a discussion I'm having now, I'm drawing something from this discussion, even though I'm being interviewed. And I'm like, you know, I'm gonna probably, when I get off, I'm gonna be like, man, man, I wonder what makes Kenny tick. Man, tick <laughs> Kenny is so impactful in the community. Like, man, what does he do every day? Because at the end of the day, 
you know, I, you know, and that's one of the things that my dad taught me. You know, I, I kind of grew up in a in a in a white collar home. My, my dad worked for NASA. You know, he's retired now. Mom worked for Boeing for many years. I mean, they was just white collar, and and I had no desire to go that path. But the, the, I saw the structure, and I saw the work ethic, and I saw the routine that led to some level of success. And I saw so many people that were musicians that were not successful. Yeah. I'm like, maybe they need to add. So I, I look at it and I just saw, I said, okay, this is what's making some things tick. You know, you got to have some sort of routine and, you know, or systematically do some things, you know. You know, well, we have, I, we have, I, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Kenny. No, no, you go right ahead. I was going to say, I have an opportunity to have more hits with the, the, in, in music or more accomplishments when I create more music, you know, um, systematically, I should say. So, well, we have systematically spent time assessing uh, the experiences that you've had in life and being able to share in the Kelvin Wooten experience, which I think would be uh, a great, great name for a project, by the way, uh, going down the line. But uh, I, make sure you, I make sure you get your royalties on that. Oh, hey, listen, <laughs> man. I I don't turn anything down. (laughs) (laughs) Kelvin Wooten, thank you, brother, for spending this time with us today on Jazz with Kenny Anderson. We appreciate you helping us launch this platform, and we appreciate everything that you have contributed to the music scene and your deep commitment and investment in doing creative and productive work. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you, too, Kenny. Thank you for what you do for the community as well. Thank you, brother. Jazz with Kenny Anderson is a partnership with Jazz in the Park Huntsville and is produced by David Person for David Person Media, LLC. The theme music was written and produced by Kelvin Wooten. Damian Malone provides podcast platform management. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Jazz with Kenny Anderson. <laughs>